0: And once again, we want to thank you, Pastor Winwright, and we want to be thankful unto our heavenly Father for the privilege of presenting the precious truths which He has given unto us to proclaim wherever we go. We closed last week on the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling. This doesn't mean of fearing God, but fearing that we will not be in the will, and we fear that we are doing something that displeases God. We want our services to be acceptable unto Him. And testing these things that differ, now we find there is much spoken about the freedom of the human will, and yet there's a lack of freedom. we read in Matthew the 23rd chapter and in the 37th verse and there Jesus said unto Jerusalem O Jerusalem, Jerusalem he said you that have killed the prophets and he said how often would I have gathered you together as a hen would gather her chicks under her wing but you will not. You will not Come unto me that you might have eternal life. Oh, friend, this morning there is their responsibility of the the human will, the freedom of the human will. Now, could they have received Christ? He says, you will not. Come unto me. Did God make them will not? Or did he give them a freedom of will? But yet we find it written in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. And I do want you to see, because this is so precious and it's, it's much misunderstood in Christendom today. Now you have, uh, you know the devil's not going to let you be a balanced Christian if he can possibly keep you from it. Uh, he'll take you to the extreme sovereignty, or Calvinism, as they call it today. Or he'll take you the extreme Arminian where it's all the man and nothing of God. Or he'll take all of God where there's no responsibility on the man at all. But this is not so. Now if we go to the ninth chapter of the book of Romans and in the eleventh verse, for the children, now he's speaking here of uh, Jacob and Esau. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, now the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. Here it is again, it is God that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Now God said that before they were born. How, how did this happen? And then he says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Why? Why all of this? Then I want you to notice in that 16th, or in the 15th verse, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, not of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Then in that 18th verse, therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. Then they go back unto Pharaoh, and there he hardened Pharaoh's heart. But, beloved, why did he do it? You know, God never hardened the heart of any man, until first he gave the warning, and gave him that will, as he said unto Israel of old, How often would I, but you would not. And you will not come unto me, that you might have eternal life. Now these are words, uh, well, they would be spurious words. If If God didn't mean this, you will not. There we see the freedom of the human will, and yet in Romans 9, 11, 15, 16, and 18, you have the lack of the freedom. Now, this is the contrast between God's choice of grace and man's responsibility. This is the contrast between grace and reward. If you go back to the fourth chapter of Romans in verses 2 through 6, and I want you to notice what he says here, for if Abraham were justified by works, he has something of which to glory, but not before God. Well, then who would he glory but before men? And this is what people are wanting. today. Oh, they want to glory before men. They will do anything uh, to get the praise of men. As Jesus said, they love the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Yes, they want to, but he says, now uh, he would have something which to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? And this is what we always want to look at. What saith the Scripture about these things? What saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and who is counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now we find. What? How do you answer all this? They say. How would you go about answering this? Ah, oh, but it's summed up, beloved, in this, in the foreknowledge of God. God foreknows what's in the heart. Was it a surprise to God when you said, "Lord, I believe"? Did it surprise God? Did He know that when? this gospel was preached at you, and there would be a certain time in your life when suddenly that light shined, you would say yes. You say, well, you can't resist that kind. Oh, but I've seen them resist. I have seen them resist. I have seen them stand and tremble when the gospel was preached and yet went out without Jesus Christ as their Savior. No, beloved, let me say again, with all of this wondrous grace of God, yet we find there is responsibility. God has given the word unto us. It's re- you're responsible to believe, and, when, and yet you cannot believe until the Spirit of God has brought this word unto you. Then they say, well, how about the heathen? And they've never heard the word. Ah, again, here's where that word of God does come in, and that blessed foreknowledge of God. And God foreknew that when the, if the gospel came to that one, whether he believed it or not. And when those he foreknew, he justifies. Don't uh, don't ask me how he does this and how he gets it to them. But somehow, some way, he'll see to it that that person gets that gospel and it will not be a surprise uh, to him uh, whenever they are saved we find in colossians a third chapter and in that 24th verse knowing that of the lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the lord christ what are you serving the lord christ for well we go to the 2nd Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and in the 10th verse. And oh, how blessed, this is used so much, or I have used it so much, in funerals. In 2nd Corinthians five, ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, why are we standing at the judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ is not the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is where the rewards are meted out. I had the privilege of going and standing there at the Bema seat uh, when they brought Paul before the Bema seat, before the judge in the Old Corinth. And I stood there, and they led them there and uh, what was he what they were being judged for this for their works that they had done and say they said paul had done evil works well now when we stand at the judgment seat of christ we're going to be judged not for our sins but for our works that we might receive our rewards if we have been doing all these things for our own glory to make a name for ourselves in order we get great numbers so we could go out to a conference and boast what the Lord is doing through me. It is exalting of the I rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now verily they have their reward already before men, but not before God. Standing before the judgment seat of Christ when you're preaching the gospel, when you're doing services, Uh, unto the Lord, and you're working with the Lord to promote His message that others might know and see the power of God that has been worked in your own life, that what He has done for you, He's able to do for others. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, how much of your works are going to go up in fire, hay, wood, and stubble? How much of it's going to go up? Because you were doing it to bestow glory upon your own self. Beloved, this is not what God wants. He wants the, he wants to praise you, and He will do it by the rewards at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. He said we're all going to stand at that judgment seat of Christ. But there is another thing that I want to bring to your attention while we're on this uh, uh, standing and estate. There are heavenly people and there are earthly people. We find uh, in uh, in Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we look for the Savior Jesus Christ. No, our citizenship is in heaven, but what he promised unto Israel, we had this last uh, Tuesday night in our Bible class in the studying of the book of Ephesians. And there in that third chapter of the book of Ephesians, there we learned of every family that is in heaven and in earth. So God has the heavenly family, and he has the earthly family. And when he prayed uh, that the every believer might know the four dimensions of Christ's love and come to the body of Christ. There he has four dimensions. The Holy Spirit coined a fourth dimension to tell because it, uh, it goes far beyond the finite mind. We cannot understand that infinite love of Christ. And when he described the land that was given to God's earthly people, Israel, the land of Palestine, he used two dimensions. He said, walk the length and the breadth of this land, and I'll give it unto you and to your seed forever. And then he come to the new Jerusalem, which is the bride, not the body of Christ. And then we so falsely hear today of the bride, which is his body, or the body, which is his bride, the body is not the bride of Christ, uh, but we find the new Jerusalem. He said, and all, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven adored as a bride for her husband. And uh, this we know that the new Jerusalem will be composed of the uh, of the remnants of Israel, of all the history of Israel. The remnants will be there because... The name of the, 12, uh, uh, of the twelve tribes are on that building, and the names of the twelve apostles are on that building, and then those whom they reach, and the Gentiles whom they reach. Uh, in the uh, tribulation, then in the millennium, then that, new, that heavenly city, there's three dimensions of that. There's the height, and the, and the breadth, and the length of it. And these are equal. And there are three three dimensions to that. But when it comes to the body of Christ, there is the fourth dimension, and that takes us far above all principalities and powers and dominions. And there is where we are seated at the right hand of God. God has a heavenly. He has an earthly people. And yet we find this. In Ephesians 1.20, he said that God, Christ has been exalted and he has been raised far above all principalities and powers and he is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. In Ephesians the fourth chapter and in the tenth verse, and here we read concerning him, but I rejoice, no, this is, I'm in the wrong book, I'm in Philippians I want Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and in the tenth verse. He says here, He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And, beloved, we are there with him. And yet, while he has ascended far into the heavens... Yet, we are told that he dwells in us on this, on this earth. Now, this, do, you, do you understand this morning why the world, those that do not have spiritual eyes, why this is a paradox to them? Here, they find that Christ is far above all principalities in the heavens, And yet we go to Ephesians, the third chapter, and in the seventeenth verse, and there he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. And then again, I find in Galatians, the second chapter, and in the twentieth verse, and there he says, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me well how do you explain this how do you explain it ah but he tells you in the uh, in the second chapter of first corinthians the carnal man receiveth not the things of god He cannot, the natural man, receiveth not the things of God. That with the old nature, nothing but the old nature, where God has not spoken unto them, yet they haven't received Christ as their Savior as yet. And uh, yet uh, they cannot understand, and they call it a contradiction. No, it is not a contradiction. This is another instance of the believers, the state, and the standing and notice where Christ's position is today exalted in the heavens, far above all heavens. Sit down at the right hand of God, you're there, and yet we're here. And uh, He took us spiritually there above all uh, above above all principalities and powers. He is there literally now, but we are on this earth literally, but he spiritually Is dwelling within us yes in the heavens yet he is on the earth dwelling in us then we find again that we are living here below on the earth in Philippians the second chapter and in the 15th verse and there we find that the Apostle speaks and tells us again of this Philippians the second chapter And in the 15th verse, and there he said that you may be blameless and harmless, children of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We live here below, on earth. Then why are we here? And why are we safe? Oh, that we shine as lights in this world. We live here below on the earth. And again, uh, uh, Christ in talking to the disciples in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, which is rightfully the Lord's Prayer. In John the 17th chapter, verses 11 and 15. And listen to this, John 17 and in 11. And now I am no more in the world. Yet he was talking to them. He was standing there. I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep to thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. All right. Here we find them living in the world, but they're not of the world. Look at the 15th verse. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Now, is this exactly, is this truth applicable? Now, we know that he was talking to the disciples there, but is this a truth for all time? Is this a truth that God keeps us? And is this, should this be the prayer that God would keep us from the evil and that we should walk as pleasing God and in the will of God in this life. Yes, we're here on earth. Yet, we go to the sixth, uh, to the second chapter of Ephesians, and there again uh, we find that we have been lifted far above all principalities and powers. We are seated with Him in the heavenlies. In Ephesians, the second chapter, the sixth verse, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Here we are in the heavenlies. Yes, we are in the heavenlies, and yet we're down here on the earth. And uh, then again, in that first chapter of Ephesians, the third verse, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. We are blessed with all spirit blessings in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. And in Philippians three twenty, our citizenship is in the heavens, and yet we are on the earth. Then in Colossians, the third chapter, in verses 1 through 3. And here again, the apostle brings to us a very important message, Colossians 3. And verses 1 through 3. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your eternal life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Where are you now? Ah, but this is why he said, Don't mind the earthly things. If you then are risen with Christ, since you are risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Does this make sense to you? Shouldn't this be our uh, everyday life, that we should seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God? But the basis for all this is the contrast between eternity and time. What is eternity? Well, I've asked that question to many of my classes. And uh, I hear them say that uh, throughout all eternity. Can you pray that? Because eternity is not throughout, and there's no such thing as all eternity. There is eternal, it's on and on. So I just pray this, that in eternity we'll praise you in eternity forever and forever. Eternity is more than endless time. Not only as continuance, but in content. Yes, it is different in essence from everything temporal. Eternity, I say, is different in essence from everything that is temporal. Eternal eternal life is more than endless life. Oh, friend, it is a divine life. It is a divine life. Faith now experiences the eternal God. I'm asking you this morning... Do you believe, and are you experiencing that salvation? Do you know? Do you know that Christ is in you, the hope of glory, like the little boy that's flying a kite, and uh, the wind was just right that day, and that kite was sailing far into the skies. A man came along, and said, "What are you doing, son?" He said, "I'm flying my kite." He said, "How do you know there's a kite?" Said, "I can't see it." Oh, he said, "I know it's there." Said, "How do you know?" He said, I can feel it tugging at that string. People ask me, how do you know that Christ is in you, the hope of glory? Ah, oh, like the little boy, I can feel him tugging at the heartstrings. Yes, I know there is. I believe it. And I believe it so strong. I believe it so strongly that, yea, I feel the very presence of Christ and feel that tugging at my heartstrings often, yea, even daily. I see faith now experiences the eternal God, always within the limits of time. This is what faith does, because we find that Paul tells you in First Corinthians 13, now these three abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because one day... When these bodies, these vile bodies, are changed in the light of Him, there will be no longer the necessity of faith, for faith shall become sight, and that which is seen is no longer faith. Hope? Why should I hope for it when I've already have it? When I've already been translated into, uh, when I've been uh, uh, been raised up and raptured, and our bodies have been changed, and we become like unto His glorious body, what do I hope for then? Ah, but faith and hope. This, I say, is always within the limits of time. And for faith, this elevates and it humbles at the same time. Yes, I I become elevated. I become elevated to know what my position is, and yet it humbles me to know end to think of what God did to this sinner when he spoke peace unto my soul. And I can't help but say daily, Heavenly Father, I'm not worthy of this great love, but Thou, in Thine infinite love and mercy, You've called me out of darkness into that everlasting light. O sinner friend, this morning, we plead with you. This God this Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that saved me, He will do the same for you. And our earnest plea with you today, as is the plea of the Holy Spirit, won't you believe that Jesus Christ bore your sins on Calvary's cross, and won't you receive Him now, and say, Lord, I believe that You took every sin that I ever committed or ever will commit, I believe that you took them and you bore them in your own body on the cross. Why? For me. Will you make it personal this morning? Will you just uh, say, Lord, it was for me. It was for me. Yes, I see him dying there. Not for the world as such, but right now it's a personal thing. I see him dying, giving his life, suffering the agonies of hell for me for me how can you spurn such love as that that love of God that reaches the highest heaven and goes to the lower parts of the earth and to the length and uh, the breadth of uh, all things how can you spurn such a love as this All fellowship with God, especially by prayer and Bible study, is a partaking of the life of God in the midst of time. And yet, in this midst of time, we stand in the timeless. Why? By faith in eternity. In death we are lifted out of time and placed into that eternal stream. And who knows, beloved, When that last breath is coming to you, can you say, even so, Lord, I'm ready. It is well with my soul. Until next Saturday morning at the same hour, this is Otis Watson speaking for the Berean Bible Church, saying goodbye, and God richly bless you.